I want to say thank you to the 30-some people that came to the church work bee last Sunday. Did a lot of work. Some of them were out digging and uh, scraping weeds off of the the uh, parking lot out here and cleaning. The ladies came in here and really cleaned the woodwork and everything. If you slide off your pews today, it's because they clean so well. And it was really good. The one person that I was really impressed with was Richard Small. He's sitting, wave your hand, Richard. He's sitting way up in the balcony. We almost had to tell him to go home. He just kept going, and he was like the Energizer Bunny. He just kept going and going and going. But um, they voted and said, we want to do this every quarter. I don't know if it was because they enjoyed the fellowship and the working together. It was the pizza at the end, but whatever it was, they sure enjoyed themselves. So we're going to see what we can do. Yeah, what can I do? You can come to the next work bee that we have. I want you to look at Luke chapter 3, verses 3 through 6. Luke chapter 3, verses 3 through 6. And he went into all the region around the Jordan preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet saying, The Lord, voice of one crying in the wilderness, preparing the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill brought low and the crooked places shall be straight and the rough was made smooth and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Who's this speaking about? John the Baptist. John the Baptist had a mission. He was to get things ready for the coming of the Messiah, to smooth things out, to get people aware that the Messiah was soon to be here. And enjoy what it says about John the Baptist in the Desire of Ages. It says, with a new strange power, it moved the people. When he preached, the people, something inside of them just changed. They were moved by what they heard. Many of them were lining up for baptisms because they just felt this presence that was there. So all these people came to hear the words of this man. Strange looking guy wore an outfit of camel hair. Boy, I bet that was scratchy. Especially in the heat of the day, you had to be in the water to keep yourself cool after all that. But like I said, they were all lined up to be baptized in the Jordan River by him. What's really interesting is there was another group of men that were there listening to John the Baptist. It was the Pharisees. They were curious about his popularity. They wanted to see what it was that he was saying. And they realized that he was someone different as well too. They were moved. He spoke with such authority and uh, he was such a powerful man. And they came and they listened to him. Probably jealous at first, but then the change came within them. So the Pharisees were there. 
Some of them even went so far to be baptized by John the Baptist. That's how powerful his speech was. And so these people lined up along the river and was there. Do you know what John the Baptist said to them? And he was especially speaking to the Pharisees that were there. Luke 3, it says, Then he said to the multitudes that came out to be baptized by him, Brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath? What wrath are they fleeing from? Wrath of God. Flee from the wrath to come. Therefore bear fruits worthy of repentance and do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. They thought, especially the Pharisees thought, that they could escape the wrath of God because of their ancestry that they traced back, clear back to Abraham. Since I am part of Abraham's children, I am spared from that wrath of God. All the rest of you is going to burn. But John the Baptist says, let me tell you something. That means absolutely nothing. If God wants children that comes from Abraham, all he's got to do is say to the rocks laying down here next to the Jordan, become children of Abraham, and boom, they'll become children of Abraham. There's nothing about the purity that's there in the bloodline or anything else. It means nothing at all. Man, that's pretty strong words to say to a Pharisee. And many of them saw their unworthiness. It was like a a light went off in their head that what he's saying is true. Look what they said. So the people asked him, saying, what shall we do then? If my ancestry's not good enough, tracing it back to Abraham, what am I going to do? I mean, that was my salvation. That was what was sparing me from the wrath of God. Now you're taking that away from me, so that means I've got to face the wrath of God. What am I going to do about it? How am I going to escape it now? What would you say to John the Baptist if he called you a viper? And he said that your security within the church is not really security at all. You would probably say, what will I do? You've taken away my hope. Let's go to another story. The conversion of Saul. Who did Saul become later on after he was converted? Paul, the Apostle Paul, not Paul Schmidt. The Apostle Paul. It's kind of interesting on his conversion. Acts 9, verses 1 and 2. Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him, to the synagogues of Damascus, so that he 
that if he found any who were of the way, they were not called Christians yet. They were called the way. If he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. That was his mission. Saul was a what, by the way? He was a Pharisee, religious leader, protector of the church. I'm going to protect the church from these people that we call the way. And it didn't make any difference if they were men, women, children. doesn't make any difference. We've got to protect the church any way possible. So he was out to persecute them. He was gathering letters, getting permission from the high priest, taking it to the churches and saying, here's a letter from the high priest. I have permission to come in and to bring these scallywags into the church to be persecuted. He thought he was doing the will of God. He thought that he was really doing the protection that needed to be taking place within the church. He's protecting these purity of the Jewish faith from, from these people who are preaching something totally different that we don't believe in. Acts 9, verses 3 and 4. And as he, Saul, journeyed, he came near Damascus. And suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? The bright light struck him blind. He's groping around. He can't see. And then the voice comes and says, why are you persecuting me? And he realized, other than the guys that were with him, there was no one else around. I mean, we're out here in the country. It's got to be something divine. Something's happening. And so he cries out, who are you, Lord? In reality, it really means, who are you, divine being? He recognized that he was in the presence somehow of God. Remember, he thought he was doing everything right for God. And God says, you're persecuting me. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. You got any idea what that, how that penetrated the heart of Saul saying, this is Jesus? To him, this message of the way people was Jesus, our Messiah, who was crucified. What would it be like today? Let's say that you're walking along the way, you're going out for a Sabbath afternoon walk, and all of a sudden this bright light shines down, shines upon you, strikes you blind, and you hear this voice that says, why are you persecuting me? Calls out your name. Why are you persecuting me? And you're saying, Who are you, Lord? What's going on? And just for the sake of illustration, he says, It's me, Osama bin Laden. <laughs> the number one enemy of the world? 
That's what it was like when he heard Jesus' name. The number one enemy of the church, the one, the reason why we're out persecuting and and stoning and killing these people because they proclaim Jesus and you hear a voice, it just struck him. Here I am, the protector of the church, and now you're just destroying everything that I've ever believed in. And Jesus is telling him, when you're persecuting these Christians the way, you're actually persecuting me. Look what Saul says next. So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? You see, he was protecting the church and the church was his salvation. He was doing the will of God until God spoke to him and pulled the rug right out from underneath his feet. And so he says, what do you want me to do? I thought I was doing it all right. And now I found out it was all wrong. Does that sound familiar? So we just read when the people and the Pharisees came to John the Baptist. What do you want us to do? I thought I was safe being Abraham's seed. Saul says, I thought I was safe protecting the church. I thought I was doing the will of God. Now you're saying it's not true. What am I going to do? When you discover your life is out of harmony with the divine will of God, and you're facing possible divine persecution, something immediate, inherent, and instinctual makes you ask, what shall I do? I thought I was doing the right thing, and now I'm not. Have you ever heard, have you ever gone to camp meeting or have heard a special guest coming in or saw something on 3ABN and they're preaching and the message that come across just penetrates right deep inside of you and changes your whole outlook on what you have always believed. And you're wondering, this This is almost foreign to my ears. I'm not. I thought I was doing God's will and now I'm discovering I'm not. One time Mark Finley was having some meetings. And I was helping Mark with these meetings. And when we was finished with one meeting one night, I was greeting the people and I went outside and there was a an older couple that was coming out that had been coming to the meetings each night and that night had been on the Sabbath. And they were very devout Lutheran people. And I heard them say as they came out after hearing Mark's presentation, and Mark is very powerful in his evangelistic meetings. And they came out and they said, the lady said to him, 
We've been living in a lie all our life. We thought Sunday was the day that God wanted us to worship upon. Now we see that the Bible says it's the Sabbath. And he looked at her and he said, What are we going to do? It had been pulled out from under them. They thought that they were doing the will of God and they discovered they were worshiping on the wrong day. That Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. What are we going to do? I'm not in harmony with God anymore. I discovered that I was wrong. What am I going to do? God's going to be angry with me. I've got to make some changes. Let's look back at Pentecost now. The Holy Spirit came down like tongues of fire on the disciples that were in the upper room. Change took place within them they had never experienced before. They went out into the city of Jerusalem and they began to share the gospel in foreign languages. They had never spoken those languages before. But now all of a sudden it was coming out. Probably accent at all was very fluent in whatever that was. Even Peter. Peter went outside and he started to preach. Peter, the guy that normally stuck his foot in his mouth, took the foot out and he began to preach with great power. The people were gathering around him and they were listening to him. And he says, Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now, put yourself in their shoes. Here are the Jews coming into the city. They've heard about Jesus. Some of them actually saw Jesus. And here's Peter saying, you know this Jesus you've heard about, this Jesus you've seen, this Jesus that the buzz is going around all over the place that he was crucified, I want you to know something. You crucified him. You may not have driven the nails yourself into his body, but because of your sins, you crucified Jesus. And I want you to know that God sent him that he is not only the Lord, the protector of your life, but he is the Christ, the Messiah. And you killed him. Those words hit their hearts. It penetrated so deep. How do you respond to such a thing? Look how they responded. Now when they heard this, they were cut to their heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? I thought I was raised in a spiritual family. I thought I was doing everything right. I thought 
that Jesus was not the man. He died on the cross. He didn't go through the plan that I thought he should be going through. And so he was, he was a fake. And I discovered that he was the Messiah. With great power I hear that it was because of my sins that he was crucified on the cross. So now, what am I going to do? If I was a part of killing the Messiah, God's going to be angry at me. How am I going to escape the wrath of God? Tell me, quick, tell me what it is that I can do right now to be able to get away from this wrath that is going to be poured out upon me. This is a natural response for someone who feels guilty, and they're feeling guilty. Why do we ask? Why is it a human response when we've got the rug pulled out from under us, when we discover that we've done something wrong spiritually, why do we ask, what shall I do? Let's look at the pattern for a moment. Let's begin to see what it is. The Pharisees were claiming to be the ancestors of Abraham that was going to spare them to escape the wrath of God, and they discovered that that didn't work. Saul was persecuting Jesus and his followers, and when he was persecuting the Christians, and then Jesus came and spoke to him and says, when you're persecuting them, you're persecuting me. And he found out he was persecuting the wrong people. And the Jews, God's chosen people, crucified Jesus the Messiah when they found that out, that they were a part of that because they rejected him and his message. They're wondering, oh man, I'm in bad shape. What am I going to do? One more example. Jesus just fed the multitude with five barley loaves and two small fishes. The crowd of people, the Bible says, wanted to make Jesus their king, take him by force, and he's going to be the one we're going to set him up. And Jesus was not time for him to be set up on anything, and so Jesus fled up in the mountains to get away from the multitude and everything else. The disciples saw him go up there. Now they figured, well, he's going to come down or he's going to meet us. We know we're supposed to go on the other side of the sea. So we're going to go ahead and get into our boat. We're going to start out and some way we'll meet him over there. So they got in the boat and they started out. And that's when that storm came up, you know. And then all of a sudden they looked out and they saw somebody walking across the water. And it was Jesus. We know the story about Peter getting out on the side of the boat and coming out and walking on the water to Jesus. We know that. But look what happens after that. The people who were going to take Jesus by force, they got into their boats. And then they started paddling. We're going to get over on the other side. They knew Jesus was going over there. So they're paddling. They're getting over the other side. They didn't take any supplies with them at all. Why do they? They don't need it. Jesus supplies the food. They don't need any food. So they went over to the other side. And it's kind of funny. It's humorous here. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they knew he was going over there. They said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Oh, fancy running in, into you here. They knew he was going to be there. Oh, oh by the way, getting kind of hungry. 
Didn't bring any food. Got any more bread and fish? Fill our bellies? Jesus answered them and said, Most assuredly I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Literally. Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you because God the Father has set his seal on him. You're only looking at me because your belly is growling. You didn't really see the true sign that took place back there when they took that that little tiny meager meal and fed the whole multitude. That was a miracle to be able to reveal to you who I am. You don't want to look at that. You're more worried about your belly. You don't even realize, you don't even want to stop and think that I'm the one that's being sent by God. I'm the Messiah. But the food is more important to you than who I am. They didn't see the miracles. By their actions, they were rejecting the gift of eternal life offered to them by Jesus. That cut to their heart. Jesus was pointing out that they were not interested in spiritual food. They were thinking only of their hunger pains. So you know what they asked? Here it is. Then they said to him, What shall we do that we may work the works of God? What do we do? Work the works. That's the clue. They wanted to work the works to gain favor back with God again. I'm out of sorts with God. He's going to be angry at me. I can't have that. Okay, tell me, what is it you want me to do so I can get back in favor of God with again? So we can be buddies again. What is it? I'm afraid of the wrath of God. How am I going to escape? Tell me what it is that I need to do so I can escape the wrath of God. I didn't see the signs. What is it I need to do? The natural response of the carnal mind is to do something to prove to God that you're a good Christian. I want God to notice me. What do I have to do so that He'll notice me? Never forget Jesus' answer. If you forget everything else about this sermon, never forget Jesus' answer. Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of who? It's not your work. It's not what you do. It's the work of God. That you believe in Him whom He sent. Salvation is the work of God. Eternal life is the work of God. It's not what we do. It's the work of Jesus that fulfills the will of the Father. 
It's like John 3, verses 16 and 17. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through Him might be saved. My salvation depends upon Jesus, not upon me. So think about it. We are so afraid of God's condemnation, we feel like we have to do something to prove our worthiness. To escape the wrath of God. The Father looks down at His Son, hanging on the cross, nails in His Son's body, and He says, I accept His substitutionary death as the only sacrifice needed to save lost mankind. So what more can you and I do to add to the merits of the cross? Become a vegetarian? Become a vegan? I liked his story. Now, being a vegetarian is good for your health, right? But does it add any more to what Jesus did on the cross? No. It helps me to live a better, healthier life. It helps clear my mind so that I can hear and respond better to the Holy Spirit that speaks to me. But as far, and there are some sad Venice, I call them sad Venice because they're always sad, that'll go into a person's house and say, you better be a vegetarian or you're going to hell. And I've heard it. If you want to escape the wrath of God, you better change your diet. So I'm going to do the Christian thing. I'm going to go through your cupboards in your, in your kitchen and I'm going to take out all the bad food. I've actually seen this take place. Put it in boxes. Took it home. And the sad Venice ate it. But they are condemned. Brothers and sisters, we're all condemned. But whosoever believes in Jesus shall have everlasting life. It's not what I do, it's what He has done for me. Do you know what David Asherick says about this? I like what he says when it comes to gaining eternal life and escaping the wrath of God. He says, all my do is doo-doo. And I think he's right. I do things because I have already been accepted by Jesus Christ, not because it earns better favor for me. What Jesus did on the cross, I praise Him for it. He's given to me a gift. And I change not because it's going to earn me that gift. I change because He has given me that gift. And I want to be more like Him. 
I don't work in order to be saved. I work because I am already saved. That is great. Otherwise, it's legalism. You may have heard this. I tried to get the recording. I didn't have time to do it. This is Logan Henderson from western Nebraska. Lives out on a ranch. If you've ever been in western Nebraska, you live on a ranch. You're a cowboy. You actually ride the horses and you, you go out and you rope the cattle and everything else. That's his sister, Logan's sister. Logan, one night called up a radio station he was listening to that was down in Houston, Texas. It was a Christian radio station. Here's Mike, the uh, KSBJ radio announcer that was on that night. And Logan called him up. Now, keep in mind this. I'm going to show you the conversation that takes place. Switch back and forth from Logan's picture to Mike's picture so you can see who's speaking. Logan is only 12 years old. Ah, come on. Hey, Mike, can I talk to you? You bet, bud. What's up? I want to tell you something God just told me. This is a 12-year-old. Last night, my dad was roping this calf, and this calf had been born from a really old cow. She didn't have the greatest milk. She didn't have, like, the vitamin C and stuff. And he starts sniffing. You know he's about ready to cry. The calf broke her back, and this morning, I went out and put her down. You know what that means? He had to kill her. Now, he's really breaking up now. I was talking to God and I was asking God, why? She was special. And God said, you know, Logan, my son was special. But he died for a purpose. Now, Logan is sobbing by this time. It's kind of the same thing. Logan says, that calf was close to me and God's son was close to him. The announcer, Mike, says, Logan, you are so right. It's true. Do you think you're going to be okay? Because you can hear Logan crying. Do you think you're going to be okay? Yeah, I'll be fine. But I just wanted to tell you guys that. It's so important. Just remember, when you lose a loved one or a pet, always remember, God gave His Son too, and He understands. He will always understand. Just run to Him. Logan, you're wiser than you know, buddy. Listen to this. Well, sometimes I don't think I'm wise. Trust me, I've done a lot of stupid stuff. It's a 12-year-old. But I've learned from it. Yeah, but see, buddy, that's what makes you wise. Somebody that learns from their mistakes.
Oh, I just figured I better call and share with you guys. Love you. And he hangs up. He learned a lesson that a lot of us have not really learned. That Jesus on the cross, his father, loved him immensely, but was willing to allow him to go on the cross so that we could have eternal life. Not from what we do. It was our only escape. And yeah, we make a lot of mistakes. We need to learn from it. But when I learn from it, it's not really adding more to what Jesus has already done. Because as far as I'm concerned, Jesus paid it all. Let's sing that hymn, hymn number 184. Shall we stand? strength indeed is small child of weakness watch and pray find in me thine all in all Jesus paid it all all to him I owe sin had left a Before the throne I stand 
and in him complete I'll lay my trophies down all down at Jesus Maybe there's someone here whose Holy Spirit has been speaking to their hearts. And they've realized that maybe they've done things their own way, which is really getting in the road of their Christian experience. It's not what we do. It's what he does. He's the one that transforms us, changes us, sanctifies us. He's the one that glorifies us. He's the one that gives to us power and strength and peace and comfort. If there's someone here who desires that power, just raise your hand heavenward and say, Lord, come into my heart. Lord, come in and take over. Let me die to self and let Jesus have full control. For it's what he does that matters the most. In his name we pray. Amen.